she also has designed a signature series of tambourines uh, for Remo. Uh, she is the founder and lead performer of uh, Guilliare de Piazza. Uh, I, I probably murdered that. I apologize. Uh, an Italian music theater and dance ensemble. Uh, and she's an artist in residence at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. Uh, she teaches workshops and healing retreats around the world, and she lives in Edgewater, New Jersey. So, uh, Alessandra, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. We're so glad to have you tonight. Thank you. It's my pleasure and honor. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. Uh, well, and, and, and I especially want to thank you because I, I gather from our brief conversation before we started, you're having some treacherous weather there uh, in your yes. part of the world. So thank you. Uh, thank you for not canceling tonight. Yes, there was a moment of fear because all the light and the power went out. There was a fire in a transformer in my building. And as I was getting ready to make plans to save the show so that I could be on and uh, be in the car if I had to, to recharge my phone, the lights came back up. With my little prayer and little candle, I looked to the Black Madonna near my bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it was meant to be that you're with us tonight, uh, we, and we're certainly yes. glad to have you. So, um, uh, Alessandra, we're gonna we're gonna uh, delve into some simple things, but we're also gonna go deeper um, for the benefit of listeners uh, who might not have years of knowledge about the Black Madonna like you and I do. Um, we're gonna, you know, kind of start a little bit at the beginning. Um, I want mm-hmm. you to tell me who the Black Madonna is, because I know from over the years, you know, uh, research I've done, traveling I've done. Uh, uh, scholars I've spoken to versus practitioners I've spoken to. The Black Madonna, um, many people see her many different ways. Uh, I know some scholars have said, oh, she's just black because uh, the the trees in that region are dark wood, you know. Uh, the church says um, the the church says, oh, the black Madonna is black because of candle soot, which is just so ridiculous. Why is her face black but not her hands, you know, or her clothing? It's just so absurd. It it just goes to show you how stupid they think we all are out here. Um, and you know, some people see her as the goddess. Uh, but maybe the dark goddess who maybe you take your deepest, darkest fears and worries to. Uh, she's a symbol of the black earth. Uh, she she is kind of what kept the energy of goddess alive, you know, as Christianity uh, threatened pagan women who honored the goddess. So I'm really, um, I, I really want to know who and what is the black Madonna to you? Well, some of the things you said, are, of course, are correct. I first want to say that it is not simple to explain who the Black Madonna is in a few words. And, of course, I'm doing my best and, you know, every time I'm asked. But as, as you saw, my book is 435 pages of direct experiences with the Black Madonna. So um, there are many different aspects and many. there's a lot of symbolism. Uh, but to... M- I think to make it shorter, there are different explanations, and what came really strong to me is that she represents the dark side of the moon, the darkness of the womb of the earth, 
and the darkness of our womb of the women that give birth and the mystery of the women giving birth because it's still a mystery even though scientifically it's explained. She does represent also the African mother, uh, one mother that we have, that we remember in our collective unconscious. But also the most important part, I think, is she really is the living, still the living goddess because in most places where I've been to, all the sanctuaries and churches of the Black Madonnas, and in Italy it's quite clear, it's right in front of your eyes, but also in other countries, all these churches are built either over or next to ancient temples of different goddesses. And in a time where, in pre-Christian times, people did believe that God was female and was black. I've come to that um, resolution of this through my 35-year journey. And the most important goddesses, as you know, are Cibele from Turkey, from Anatolia, really in, in Rome, and was, she was called Magna Mater, the Great Mother, and um, Hecate, the goddess of the underworld, Diana, goddess of the moon. Uh, in certain places also Aphrodite was represented black. And the most important and the one that really embraces all the other goddesses is Isis from Egypt. And then there are other symbolisms uh, connected to that, and other people also, and I felt that too when I was in certain places, connect Mary Magdalene to the Dark Mother. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I don't think the Black Madonna is directly Mary Magdalene. I think they're two distinct um, things, but she is a Dark Mother. So, okay. <laughs> does that explain? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, for me, um, uh, uh, definitely. Um, but I think we do have to clarify dark uh, because yeah. some people, you know, who might not be in goddess spirituality long, um, you know, the word dark comes with some negative baggage. Uh, and that doesn't really, it, it, and it's incorrect, and I know that. But could you speak to that a bit uh, when, when you say the dark mother or the dark moon or whatever? Uh, explain what that means just so people aren't, um, you know, assuming the wrong thing. Yeah, I, and unfortunately I agree with you that there is a, a bad connotation when you say black Madonna or dark mother. Uh, it is true what you said in the beginning as my experience has showed me through the years that people with the dark shadow that have suffered from addiction or um, um, have even, you know, at the darker side do feel nurtured by the Black Madonna and the Dark Mother because she really represents the universal mother of us all, of us all and the be- beginning of life and where we come from. So that darkness of the cosmos, and so now I'm going to go a little deeper because it's an esoteric meaning as well, where we originated from, where life originated, that's really the essence of the Black Madonna. Then all the different aspects of the goddesses of, um, that have been uh, worshipped through the thousands of years are a direct continuation of people remembering that we come from the cosmos. We come from the earth, and that's also dark, the womb of the earth, but in the, I think a very beautiful legend that is in our culture, in the southern Italian and Mediterranean, the, the myth of creation is that the black meteorite fell from the stars, and then she was uh, venerated as a goddess and landed in, in Anatolia. And that 
is the stone, the black stone that was carved into the goddess Chibele, who was really the Magna Mater, the great mother. And that is the same concept of the black stone that is venerated in worshipping La Mecca. So there is, again, that meaning of the darkness, the black, which is where we come from, which is a mystery, but does not symbolize fear. Right, right. Well, I mean, we could look at it as the darkness of the earth, you know, seeds germinate in the darkness, Um, you know, babies uh, uh, grow in the darkness of the womb, Um, you know, from the darkness, so much creativity and life actually um, arises. And you spoke about the connection with Isis. I mean, I know there were a lot of black Madonnas that when you scraped off the paint, uh, you actually found an Isis statue. Um, that's mm-hmm. a wonderful connection. Um, and, and you know, and, and I kind of think uh, from everything you just said, it reminds me of something a friend of mine uh, uh, by the name of uh, Jenny said a long time ago when we were talking about the essence of the goddess. I mean, how do you say who who goddess is? I mean, it's it's no easier to say who is goddess than it is who is God. Um, and she mm-hmm. uh, described goddess as a diamond with many facets. And I think probably we could say the very same thing about the Black Madonna. Absolutely. Don't you think? Absolutely, because that's what I was saying. There are many different aspects. All of this, all we're saying, the darkness of the womb, the womb of the mother, the earth mother, the dark side of the moon, the cosmos, the African mother, these are all meanings of the Black Madonna. So I think the only beautiful thing that we have from our Catholic Christian tradition is the fact that the church was not able to repress this super strong devotion to these ancient goddesses that represent really the beginning of life. So they kept it. They just shifted the name from Isis to Mary, mother of Jesus. And there, too, I would like to add a little thing that I do believe, and I, you know, as other scholars do believe, that Mary was dark. Mary, Mariam existed, and she was dark. She was North African. So was Jesus. So that overlapping, you know, in the 300, 400 years after uh, Christ, that's when the church, uh, they started to paint Mary and Jesus. They attribute all these dark icons to St. Luke. It's impossible that he painted them all, but that's what they say. But because they say St. Luke remembered Mary and Jesus and they were dark. So it was very easy for the church to overlap, to keep the dark goddesses and then just change the name and also the symbolism of right. the Isis and Horus, the Madonna and Child and the Trinity. Um, but the Black Madonna embraces all these things and I think that's why it's so powerful and she's so miraculous. She really is. It's the beginning of life. Well, and, 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 you know, speaking to that, you know, that Jesus and Mary were dark, I mean, you know, I grew up in the South. I I was born in New Orleans. That's the Bible Belt. And uh, it's so silly when I think about it now. But, you know, we always saw Mary and Jesus uh, in their pictures and in their statues. Uh, they were usually uh, uh, blonde. 
blonde or brunette with blue eyes sometimes. Um, I mean, it's so crazy. Uh, and, and I think it's hard for some people to, re, you know, to, you know, to um, reconcile the fact that, uh, you know, Middle Easterners are caramel colored, you know, they have that beautiful brown skin. And uh, and that's what Jesus was, and Mary was, and uh, Isis, no doubt as well, you know. Uh, and uh, I mean that that's just reality. And um, you know, to think otherwise is uh, is 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 really just, uh, I think, being in denial. <laughs> yes. Um, well, there is a I know there was a systematic um, thing done by the church and the first. Madonna, blue eye, Madonna, brown hair, and Jesus with red hair, were really commissioned by the Vatican, you know, later on, after the Middle Ages, the early Middle Ages, and Renaissance. Those, that's the time where they started to commission painters, and, you know, to, to portray them in the, the race of the white supremacy, because they did not want people to, to worship black images. Yet, they didn't succeed right, as right. they thought they would. And that's part of it. Actually, yeah, the other thing that is interesting, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, is that they, in, as you read in my book, um, when I travel in some places, I may go back after a few years in, a, in one place, and then I see the Madonna lost her tan. I mean, she got lighter. Because when they do the restoration of icons, not statues, because they cannot really do that to the wood, but um, they make them lighter. And that's their system, that's the Vatican hmm. Yeah. Try to make yeah, that's, uh, well, you know, let's face it. You know, the church isn't big on um, uh, putting the truth out there. I mean, how long did it take them to admit that uh, Mary Magdalene wasn't a prostitute? Uh, and and how many other uh, distortions do they, uh, per, you know, uh, perpetuate? But um, uh, right. so yeah, I, I I get that. You know, many of our institutions do, um, you know, do perpetuate white supremacy. And, uh, you know, this was just uh, another example of that. Um, but I, I do want to uh, hear um, uh, your, your belief. I mean, I think probably everyone listening here will not um, have a problem with the idea that God is a woman. Uh, but they might have, you know, they might just wonder why you think um, she's black, though. Um, would she not be all colors? Um, why why do you think she's black? Because of the the exact um, things that I was saying before. In my experience, when I traveled and I had healing experience and miracles, and it's still happening, it's not something of the past, why are all these places that are most powerful and um, most healing are places in nature where the earth mother is very strong and alive and the soil is really black and that's the most person. Um, that's what I experienced that I was in the arms being nurtured by the beginning of life, the one who gave us birth and that womb is black. So not only the idea of God that gives birth female, but we come from the black womb as well as remembering that we have one common mother. I believe that the beginning of this civilization is in Africa. I spent a lot of time with elders from different places and also from South Africa. 
So with, there is also a collective memory of one dark mother, one black mother. Um, and also, then going again a little deeper, is the fact that we, you know, people worshipped for many, many, many thousands of years this black meteorite that came from the stars and then gave life to us. So I know it's a strange thing to um, conceptualize because it's really not um, so rational for our minds, but we come from the darkness, and that's the, uh, the who gave us birth. So to me, that's God, a goddess, and black. It couldn't have been white. I believe in the light, you know, okay. in the sun, but um, mm. also the fact that all the, all this. I don't know. If, are you aware that all the Catholic countries have a patron Madonna, and it's a black. Madonna is not a white Madonna. No, one of them has a white patron Madonna. So that's, to me, another proof, remembering who's our mother and she's black. Okay, okay. Well, that makes sense to me. And and even just from a scientific perspective, I mean, we all... Uh, you know, we we all go back to um, I think our roots are in Africa, uh, mm. and I mean, it, it, just that alone, uh, you know, makes sense to me as well. Um, and so, it, well, and and I think it's interesting too. I mean, you've said that you've had these these miracles, these experiences with her, and you've seen her, uh, it, it, you know, with the dark skin, correct? Yes, and come alive. I think that's the experience yeah. that is most important that I want to convey in the book, that it, she's alive, with, you're not just looking at a statue or a painting. And this is the experience everyone has that comes with me during my pilgrimage. You see them come alive, they shift their faces, their expressions, uh, just like the earth is alive, the, you know, the living being, thinking. So, um, and I think that's a vital, um, important thing to recognize that we're not just praying, lighting a can- praying and lighting a candle in front of a statue. There is a that's a lie. And in the book, and as I guess you saw that for the right of the X-ray of the Black Madonna from Calabria, that you can see there is a woman. <laughs> it looks really alive. That was the time where I, um, in 2016, uh, I went to the the same feast I've been going to for many many years in Calabria, and the Madonna, Our Lady of the Poor. And then inside the church, I saw this black and white photo, and it's a little bit spooky because you see a woman, a live person, looking at you. And so I asked them, what is that? And they could tell that I was, you know, in a completely different uh, world because I was taken by it, I was crying. And then they said, yeah, that's the x-ray of the statue in 2010 when they were trying to restore uh, no, to do a restoration because the statue is from the year 951. And they called them from Rome. They said, we got to stop. we got to stop. Look what's inside the statue. And, you know, I got permission to use it in the book. When you look at that, you see a life. There's a person. It's alive. So, you know, scientifically, can we explain that? No. But she's alive. And that's where the miracle happens. When you ask something and you receive it, you can, you know, a lot of people have felt that, that she's crying with you or extending her hand. Um, it's it's not imagination. It really isn't. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and this isn't the first time I've heard this either. Um, uh, you know, I'm I consider myself an ISIS devotee and priestess, as well as a a Sekhmet devotee and priestess. And uh, Robert Masters, who did a lot of research on uh, Sekhmet, and friends I know who have been to a lot of her. Um, sacred places in Egypt, they talk about mm -hmm. the essential statues. And they actually, you know, there's, there's something there. It's more than just a statue. There's an essence that lives uh, within the statue, and they may see her move, you know, her head turn. Like you said, mm -hmm. maybe there's a gesture. Maybe, maybe they hear something, you know, or um, there's something magical happening without a doubt. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, I haven't visited those places yet. <laughs> I've only been to Egypt for a short time. Yeah, but I absolutely yes. But yeah, I'm sure. And then, of course, I to me is the, is the most powerful of all. She comes through a lot on all these black phenomena. Very very loud. Um, well, now you sent problems. me you sent me some some really good information that I've enjoyed reading. And uh, one of the things I found really interesting was um, uh, information on Virgil in the Black Madonna. Um, mm -hmm. Now you talked about the Cumanian uh, Sibyl, how it originated in Babylonia, and legend has it that a black meteorite struck. Uh, the earth in Turkey, like you said earlier. Uh, the stone was brought to Rome, and a statue of Cabelli was uh, carved from it. Um, it protected Rome. It guided it uh, in its victory over Hannibal uh, in Carthage in, in 2005 to 2003 B.C., um, and you connect that meteorite to the Black Madonna. Uh, the church is... Um, uh, is is of this black Madonna. It, it was an ancient temple of the goddess Cybele. Uh, uh, um, but mm -hmm. tell us about Virgil, uh, the poet and the mystic healer. You said he was initiated into the mysteries of Cybele, and you say it so much more beautiful than I do. But uh, the <laughs> mysteries of Cybele, uh, uh, and and how come he was regarded as the sun? Tell us about that story. Yeah, I, I love Virgil, obviously. I, you know, I wrote an opera dedicated to the Madonna, to the Black Madonna. That's how I first, before I did the book. So um, I, always, I studied Virgil in school, and they never told us that he was a healer, shaman initiated in the goddess, possibly gay. Uh, but I, I found an incredible book, which, which is only in Italian, called Il Segno di Virgilio. And it looks like really a book of prophecy by itself. From uh, uh, written by an incredible Neapolitan writer, but also a theater uh, composer, director, Roberto De Simone. This was at the same time, you know, that I was healed from my disease. And I, when I opened this book, I realized this connection is incredible, and, and most people are not aware. Virgil, yes, was a poet, and he was um, he lived in Naples, and Naples was even then it's already it is still now an esoteric uh, center. Naples was female. The name of the city was Partenope, the virgin, the maiden. And um, there, the, the cult of different goddesses were very strong, especially Isis was probably the strongest, but there was also Cibele. So as Virgil, from the research done by this Neapolitan writer, it's obvious where he shows that he would go to the sacred places. One is Kuma, uh, where the cave of the Sibyl was, and the prophetess, and that's where he probably began his journey of initiation. 
began, beginning in the underworld, but they, he also had another very important sacred site, which, which you can still go to today, it's called Monte Vergine, which means Virgin Mountain. At that time it was called Mount Partenio, again in Greek Partenio means Virgin. And Virgil had uh, his initiation there, that sacred mountain was uh, a very important uh, site and temple of devotion of the goddess Cibele, where priestesses and priests um, honored her with music, drumming, and trance dances and orgiastic rituals. And the priests that honored her became women, and they were called Galli. So what we found, in this, what I found in these texts was that Virgil was one of them, a high priest, there is no evidence that he castrated himself to uh, reenact the myth of Attis and Cibele, but he was definitely gay, he was never married, never had a girlfriend, and he was a high priest. And also, it was known that he knew how to heal people who were sick with herbs. So this, this sacred site, I mean, in, in, it's quite known in the area of Campania. It's not a mystery that Virgil was initiated there, that this was the temple of the goddess Cibele. What's beautiful is that it's still there today. You know, it's the Church of the Black Madonna of Monte Vergine, and she's, you know, a very important one. If you want, like, later I'll tell you more about the legend. But so um, Virgil has left with this incredible um, impact, devotion, and tradition of men becoming women to become Christians, to heal. And the Neapolitans believed that he had supernatural powers. So they chanted to him as the sun god, which is one of the chants, you know, that I teach in the book, the Yesha Solomon. So, you know, like a lot of years, and they, they say he died, but he didn't really die. He comes back, you know. Um, right. Well, let me yeah. ask you, um, uh, Alessandra, and I, I don't know if you know, um, uh, is so, you know, I don't mean to throw you a curveball here, but why did men who wanted to be priests of uh, Cibele, uh, why did they feel they needed to um, or, or wanted to castrate themselves? What did that do for them? Or was that like a sacrifice or an offering to her, or was there more to it? There is more to it. Um, I think it's very complex, but um, I think it goes back to the fact that in ancient times, the divine feminine and the, you know, the cult of the goddess of matriarchal societies were really strong. So, and people knew that women had more power, more healing power, more shamanic power, besides the fact that did birth. So I believe strongly that the men that want to achieve that, that, you know, the, uh, on many levels, you know, physical, emotional, they, want, they wanted to be women because they knew they were more powerful and they were more in tune with the goddess, with the mother. Besides the fact that they teach us that there, there is a myth, you know, of Attis and Cibele. So the myth, the archetype says that um, Cibele's lover was young Attis, who at some point betrayed her with a young maiden and, when, and was marrying her. And when Cibele found out, she got furious and, um, and induced madness in him. And out of this madness, he castrated himself over a pine tree. And then uh, Shibele felt desperate. She had 
driven him to that madness. And then Zeus took pity and transformed the pine tree in the sacred tree of Chibele. So this myth, this archetype, you know, um, which is a little complex to say the least, <laughs> but um, has to do with what the man then wanted to do as initiation. They want to reenact their myth to honor Cibele. And then, he, and then you're correct, yes, it's a sacrifice. So the other symbolism, I think, is sacrifice for the earth, spill your blood for the earth so she can renew herself and keep her fertile. So that's the symbolism of that sacrifice and many similar sacrifices. And believe it or not, in Italy, in the south, there are so many places where men do bloody sacrifices during Holy Week, normally. They still keep that going, and it's forbidden by the Vatican, but they still do it. So, does so, that so when you say... When you say that, are you, are you saying that they castrate themselves or no, some other sort of blood, blood sacrifice? Different blood sacrifices. Because in, the, in this uh, Megalesia, they were called in these rituals, um, the initiated men, the godly, we, we know they castrated themselves. Yeah, when this uh, practice became common in Rome and, and, and that area, Montevergine and Naples, they said that the Romans didn't do it. The Romans did not castrate themselves. But the Greeks did, um, but not the Roman citizens. But they made sacrifices of blood, um, and they sacrificed the bulls. So they did continue sacrifices of blood for the goddess for, and for the Earth Mother, because she was the Great Mother, Magna Mater. Yeah. So I think that it's interesting, and I was just in uh, the south of Italy for Holy Week. I do not go to these places anymore. I only experienced one of these bloody sacrifices in a procession, I fainted, so I, I promise I never would go back. <laughs> it's really hard. At least, you know, on, you know, it's one thing when you read them in the books, right, but when you're in front of you, you see all these people bleeding and throwing themselves on the ground, and that's very powerful. But that's what they did in, in the ancient times for their initiation to the goddess. And now it's for right. the Madonna. Well, in... And, and you know, I haven't talked about this in a long time, so I'm a little bit fuzzy on it. So if I don't have it exactly right, uh, listeners, forgive me. But, you know, you, you kind of alluded to in the early days when, you know, goddess was uh, so central, uh, you know, to life. And uh, in a way, I think men probably envied women's relationship to goddess. You know, they could give birth, they could bleed without dying. Um, and I, if, if memory serves, I, uh, I believe I heard somewhere uh, a scholar said that, um, you know, while, you know, patriarchal reasons for this came about later, um, circumcision and tattooing, you know, both of which, you know, men are giving up their blood, you know, because anybody who's gotten a tattoo, you know, you bleed. And circumcision, obviously, you know, you're bleeding from your, you know, the, the genital that's uh, related to, you know, creating life. Um, that that was that was also men's way of. Um, I don't want to say competing with women, but maybe um, trying to get in on the relationship with goddess. You know, they were also yes. going to uh, maybe sacrifice their blood as well. Does that sound familiar to you at all? 
Um, you know, yes and no. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I just, but I agree that there was a way to achieve, try to achieve what it was to be a woman, or to have that similar yeah. power. I I agree with you. Absolutely yes. But I also feel like I feel today that a lot of these men that are born into a male body, but they think they're women. They really are women. I have a few friends who are transgender. And the beauty of that, too, is that in certain cultures like in Naples, they're considered holy people. They're not, um, you know, ashamed or anything like that. So in Naples, they still exist, and they're called feminielli. They live like women, act like women. They go to the Madonna on a certain day, on February 2nd, and everybody considers them um, holy. Like, you know, like women, but a little bit with a... Um, with a little more respect because they chose that kind of life, you know, uh, kind of a separate right. life. Yeah. So, it w- and, you know, right. I, I guess that in the book I connected a special young man, woman who is here in New York, Summer Minerva, who's now bringing uh, people from here to this sacred mountain to, uh, to show people from New York, the United States, that this tradition is ancient. The godly were transgender. They were, you know, uh, devotees initiated to the goddess and now I'm protected by the Black Madonna. I think that's a very important thing for people to realize today. You know, um, instead, okay. of making, instead of making more divisions, <laughs> which we're, we don't need anymore, <laughs> right? I think it's important to recognize right. that in ancient times they were kind of equal. Uh, and not, yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean, and it's not right. just... Well, and I don't think it's just Italy where those sorts of transgender people, uh, and again, I'm not sure if that's the politically correct term, but I think we all know what we're Mm -hmm. talking about. Uh, You know, men who identify as as female um, in India, too, uh, I believe, you know, they're revered there and they're seen as holy uh, rather than seen as abominations, um, mm-hmm. you know, as they are in, in, in other places. Um, well, Alessandra, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, I want to hear about the Tarantella. Uh, I want to know about um, uh, the relationship between Yoruba, the, uh, you know, Yemenya, and the Black Madonna, maybe talk a little bit more about um, – um, you know, ISIS and uh, Beneventum, if I'm saying that right. Uh, so we still have a lot uh-huh. to talk about. Uh, but le- okay. but uh, let's, uh, let's take a quick break here. Um, and uh, let's see. Um, there, I would like listeners to hear this clip uh, from the trailer for Joe Corson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. Okay. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree. And I came out of this. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Uh, 
so just to clarify, Joe Carson's lovely books, um, uh, Dancing with Gaia, is available only uh, at dancingwithgaia.com. So please uh, check that out. Uh, It's definitely something you want to have in your library. Uh, I am uh, chatting with Alessandra Bologna uh, about the Black Madonna and her new book, uh, Healing Journeys with the Black Madonna, that's uh, just come out uh, through Inner Traditions and uh, uh, Bearing Company. And um, so, uh, Alessandra, let's talk a little bit about the connection between Yemaya and the Black Madonna. Well, um yeah, I, as you read, I love very, very much. Uh, she's a Orisha from the Yoruba tradition that originated, they say, Nigeria and Benin. She represents really one of the most important, I think, essence of life. She represents the goddess of the sea, the goddess of love, the mother of waters. So really the beginning of life. And in the Yoruba tradition in um, Africa and then that traveled to Brazil, um, and to Cuba and Puerto Rico, you know, through the slaves. And this tradition has continued. I, I, I mean, Shah was presented black, not in all places right now, but originally from Africa. She's the black goddess that comes out of the water and blesses us all. Um, so, in, uh, interesting enough, in our culture in the south of Italy, pretty much all over Italy, but in, in the south way more, in the summer, you can go all up and down the coast, which is, you know, very beautiful on the Mediterranean, and you will see all the feasts and processions of the Madonna of the Sea, the Madonna del Mare, where they carry the statues into a boat and then bless the coast, you know, with flower offerings and, and bless the people that live along the coast and as a fertility ritual, too, uh, as an omen that the coast, you know, will be safe, that uh, people will be safe and honoring the sea with that, um, with giving offerings or asking her protection, which is the exact same ritual they, that comes from Africa. So it's identical. There's nothing different. The only difference is that um, sometimes these Madonnas in the, you know, in the Catholic Church have become white, but and I go to the ones that are black, <laughs> mostly, even though they're all beautiful. The white ones, you know, also look like him and Shah with a white dress and blue and the long hair. And in some of these, some of these statues don't even have a baby Jesus. It's just a hair, and she really looks like, uh, you know, the goddess of the sea, the mermaid. And so, I, again, when I said in the beginning, I do believe we have one African mother that we originated from. As all these, you know, studies are saying that we and we remember that. So the Yoruba tradition, I've read that is probably one of the oldest forms of religion still practiced today, um, and it's very wide. It's really big. You know, like in, in New York, it's huge. Uh, you know, there are people um, that are initiated in this tradition. Here, it's, you know, they call it Santeria. So, but it, it, it's phenomenal that everyone remembers this. That we have this mother of the waters that protects us. So Yemanja, you know, right. the black goddess of the sea, is the same as the black Madonna of the sea, but she's also white. And I, I have to admit, if you see her image many times, she's white. Um, but I believe not to be like that in the very beginning, that she was a black image. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And, um, and very we, healing. I mean, it's a super healing um, tradition. You know, people go in the water okay. to be healed. Um, the sacred waters, you know, that people worship in different places. Um, that even the sweet water, Oshun, uh, it's the same. You know, if you think of Lourdes and places where the Madonna appears and the healing water comes out uh, from the earth, it's the same essence. Um, you know, the original life and also the fact that she can give us miraculous water that can heal our health problems. Okay. Um, we're we're probably got about 15 minutes left here. The time has really gone by way too quick. Um, I think maybe one of the things you're, you're best known for uh, is uh, your dance of the Tarantella, uh, a healing trance dance. Um, would you tell us about that, please? Sure. <clears throat> and I always say this, in, unfortunately, in America, people know the Tarantella as a silly wedding dance. Um, unfortunately, you know, this is, I don't know where it comes from, it's really not the truth. The Tarantella is directly connected to the ancient rites of, the, of Dionysus, ecstatic rites of Dionysus, that were uh, performed by women initiated in the mysteries of Dionysus called Bacche or Bacante. So uh, as southern Italy was part of Greece, known as uh, Magna Grecia, uh, Great Greece, we know that these rituals were very, very important. So there are places in Pompeii, you know, where you can see the initiation of the Bacchus in the mysteries of Dionysus on the friscos in the wall. And so these women, that, you know, when I went to school and we studied classical stuff, they would tell us the Bacchus were crazy, of course, or the menady. They were, these women were crazy. They were dancing wild. And, of course, these women were uh, shaman, healer, initiated, and they use ecstatic dance and tambourines and rhythms to enter the ecstatic uh, state of mind. And with that, they also knew how, how to heal or to prophesize. So the Tarantella, the name, though, comes from the spider, Arachne. Uh, so there is a myth before the Bacchus that says that Arachne was um, a beautiful young virgin that was skilled weaver of the land, and uh, most people thought that she learned from the goddess Athena, but she told everyone she was better than the goddess, challenged Athena to a weaving contest, and won. And uh, out of uh, anger, Athena uh, destroyed her linen and, and hid her, and Arachne committed suicide and hung herself from a tree, and Athena transformed her into a spider. So the myth goes on saying that uh, she never knew love, so she was a virgin, and that other women became bitten by the spider and entered the depression and suicide mania. And that the Sibyl, the prophetess of the underworld, spoke and said that these women had to be uh, let free and um, embrace the god Dionysus, the god of ecstasy, and also sexuality. And uh, when they became freed, then... Uh, they lived in, uh, in, 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 I would say separately, that's what people say, that this bucket initiated lived separately among women in the woods, and they were in charge of their sexuality, and dance, and dance, and also had orgiastic rituals, and also did other things, they were, just, uh, they were not just having orgies, they were also healers, but when they led these rituals, men were invited. So, um, this form of ecstatic dance was 
very, very popular. So where the the orgies um, in the Roman Greek, you know, Roman culture after the Greek. So with Christianity, of course, uh, they were repressed and stopped. But the mystery to us all is a why did it stop in Greece, but it never stopped in Italy. So the south of Italy, they continue to have these gatherings, they continue to dance, and they use the tambourine, the flutes, and other instruments. So we don't really know exactly what they performed in the Dark Ages, but early Renaissance, there were already people writing about it, that people, men and women, but mainly women, would come out and say, I was beaten by the spider, the tarantula, and I need to dance the venom out of my body. So they did this ritual as music and dance therapy, and the venom was a metaphor, that they had to get rid of the venom and break the imaginary web they felt caught in. So, and this, so this tradition went on from the Renaissance until recently, until the 1960s. And in certain parts of Italy, in Puglia, there were all these tarantati, people bitten by the spider, that had to perform this ritual for three days and three nights, dressed in white, with the music, especially the tambourine playing 6-8, to get rid of the venom. And then it was proven then in the 1960s that this was not a spider bite. It was never happened that they had an hallucination sometimes of a spider. But all these people suffered from manic depression, sometimes from hysteria. And the cause many times for the women was sexual abuse, uh, repression of sexual desires, and for men to... And, so people were outcast, depressed, repressed, became tarantella, and they danced the tarantella to get out of their pain and to be cured. Mm, interesting, today. really interesting. Yeah, I mean that uh, that makes total sense to me. You know, uh, it was a release <laughs> for them. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, release from their suffering, release from their repression. Um, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, so, Alessandra, if somebody wanted to see um, this dance performed, um, do you? I'm wondering if you have any YouTube uh, videos or anything of you uh, you performing or people doing the dance. Um, how could uh, yeah. listeners find that? Oh, I have many, 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 many videos on YouTube of this. So the dance, the way I. Uh, I, I've done it on stage and also for workshops. It's called Pizzica Tarantata. Pizzica means by P I D I C A Tarantata T A R I R A N T A T A. I can probably send you an email with this, with also the links if you're interested. And I began doing it, you know, as a researcher to stage it, but then I. I was ill in 1986, and then I got ill again after the vision of the Black Madonna. That's what started my quest. But then I really cured myself with this dance, and I did it to avoid the second surgery, and the bleeding stopped immediately. And that's when I decided to do it for other women, and I decided to do workshops. And and then ever since then, now over 25 years, I've so many women come to me, and I've helped a lot of women, especially, come out of trauma, of abuse, and that's been really my mission. So I, I have also videos of testimonials of women that speak about this, and they're very powerful. Wow, that's pretty incredible. 
Um, I do I do want to ask you about Isis and the Black Madonna of Benevento and uh, uh, Bene, yeah Beneventum is Benevento and Beneventum two different yes. places or one one no, place? No, it's the same. Yeah, no, it's the same. Beneventum was the Latin name. Yeah. So, so ben, you uh, Benevento, that, um, you, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, keep going. You've heard about it before. That's what I was going to ask. Uh, well, um, well, again, you know, we're connecting the Black Madonna with the Black Earth and Isis from Egypt. You know, it's the land of Kemet, uh, the Black Soil, the Black mm-hmm. Land. So here we have that dark connection again. Uh, but I'm curious uh, because you said um, there are many temples of Isis in the region of Campania, Italy. Archaeologists uncovered the greatest temple of Isis in uh, Beneventum. Uh, Isis gave life to the dead Osiris, and this legend evolved into the Madonna Nero of Christianity. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, um, the, the area that I'm describing is called Irpinia, right? Um, besides Naples and uh, Pompeii. So there is a very strong esoteric school in Naples and this area, still today. Um, so the esoteric school, most people are not familiar with that, because it's very, it's kept, I would say, it's not a secret society, but it's quite big. So the people who are uh, initiated in this esoteric school, still today, going back to the ancient times, are, have studied Egyptian magic. You know, the Egyptians are, I think, the ones who have the biggest knowledge of magic, alchemists, you know, which also comes from the black. So, uh, and Isis, um, if you know the myth and how she flew and restored the body of her dead husband, she represented magic. She had the power to, to make magic, to transform, to transform and, um, and give life again. So people that were initiated in her mysteries, I've never, you know, gone that far. <laughs> I could if I want to join them. I know who they are, you know. But uh, in, in, in Italy, uh, that people who are initiated, they're continuing an ancient Egyptian school that is esoteric, where the main figure, the main goddess, is still Isis. And in this area, there's many black Madonna. And the one that is most powerful is the Our Lady of Freedom, La Madonna della Libera, which I described very much as the one that has helped me the most and healed my ex-husband from addiction. From addiction. Uh, if you look at her, you can see she really looks like many other statues of Isis. Very beautiful, even sensual, super mysterious. Um, this area, interestingly enough, was the area of the witches of Benevento. So that's what I, I was curious to know. Had you heard about that before, that there was a strong uh, witchcraft tradition in a town called Benevento? No, no. No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know about that. So people who study, you know... Uh, witchcraft, they usually end up studying the witchcraft of Benevento. Um, there were, it was a, really a settlement uh, very notorious of, for women who were empowered and became witches, le streghe di Benevento. Now, I had a very tough experience when I was doing research on witchcraft, and I decided to let it go because I work with the light, and I, you know, I'm a believer of the Black Madonna and her healing power with love, compassion. What I really want to convey the most is she brings love and compassion, just like I do. So the transformation, you know, also of that, what love can do, how can heal. Uh, 
in this area, the people were initiated also did black magic, and that's not what I like. And I decided to let it go, to not dwell into it. <laughs> and um, and I don't have high uh, you know, opinion of people that continue that tradition. But it's still there. It's still strong. So there, there, I think, you know, there is so many layers in time, you know, the Egyptians and the time of Christianity, how, you know, people are accused of witchcraft. Um, and in this area where ISIS was so popular, they also, the, the people from the north came, the Lombards, with their goddesses. So some people decided also to use this for dark, you know, for dark magic. And, um, but that's really not what the Black Madonna is about, not at all. On the contrary, she protects people from that. Right, and right. It, Absolutely. Yeah, healed and healthy and, you know, stop the earthquake. So this, what, this Madonna, Our Lady of Freedom, is very old. They say they came on a ship like a lot of god, uh, goddesses, I mean Madonnas from Turkey, but, um, but she, we know that's not true. She was already there as a goddess Isis. And uh, it's probably one of the most powerful of all, um, where miracles continuously happen, continuously, every year. And her feast is beautiful, September 8th, and the women chant for her this archaic ancient chant. And just listening to those voices, you can feel, you know, the healing power of that for her. And that is the mm, that's beautiful. Time. And you said that September 8th is the feast day? Yeah, so the fe- the feasts of the Madonnas happen through the summer mostly, but this one um, that I've been going to ma- for many years is September 8th in the town called Moiano for uh, La Madonna della Libera, Our Lady of Freedom, which is the one that really gave the grace to me and my ex-husband of him becoming sober from addition. We saw her star move from her crown, waving at us, and, you know, that was definitely a miracle. It's a solid gold crown. And then after that, every time I go and I bring people with me, everybody has these incredible experiences. You, you know, the first thing is people cry at their feet and really let go of their sadness or any emotions, and then people feel restored by her, just like Isis. Mm-hmm. You know, she can be restored mm-hmm. to be again. Yeah, I've had some had some pretty incredible experience with Isis myself. Um, well, Alessandra, um, I'm I'm sorry to say our time is up, uh, but this is fascinating. I could have gone on with you for another hour or two. I mean, there's so much we didn't get a chance to get to, but I would certainly encourage uh, my listeners to uh, most definitely get your book, uh, Healing Journeys with the Black Madonna, and uh, uh, a lot of what we couldn't get to in the interview will be there in the book. Um, so thank I want to thank you so much for your, for your time and uh, and you know and especially in light of all the difficulties you were having there uh, where you live uh, I appreciate you not canceling and uh, and showing up for the show tonight thank you so much thank you it's my honor and I hope we stay in touch and go visit Isis all and right. the Black I- Madonna together. There you go absolutely we have a lot in common. All right well thank you Alessandra. Gracias. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, uh, Alessandra is certainly an inspiration for us to reconnect with the Earth Goddess, and as she says, the Black Madonna represents the Earth Goddess. 
and the womb of the earth. Uh, as the womb of the earth has been polluted and broken, so women's wombs have been abused and broken. But like the earth, we have the power to regenerate and heal. Both men and women are invited to join Alessandra's workshops and pilgrimages to the Black Madonna on the coast of the gods, and you can find out more about that if you visit her website, alessandrabelloni.com. That's A-L-E-S-S-A-N-D-R-A. B-E-L-L-O-N-I dot com. And you definitely want to give, uh, uh, you know, get her book, um, Healing Journeys of the Black Madonna. Um, this is a woman who has decades of experience, and she has no doubt poured it all into this book, uh, a one-of-a-kind. And uh, um, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it uh, 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 I mean, you can just tell what a fount of information Alessandra is, and uh, you want to take advantage of that. And look at her YouTube videos and uh, uh, consider her workshops and tours, and most definitely uh, her book, Healing Journeys with the Black Madonna, Chance, Music, and Sacred Practices of the Great Goddess. Uh, we thank her for her work there in the world. And uh, before we go tonight... Uh, just uh, one more thing I hear for you. Uh, here is a clip uh, from the trailer for Joe Carson's film. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, take that back. Rewind, rewind. Uh, switching gears here. I want to play something different for you. Uh, I'll play for you something from a review of Joe Carson's book, uh, Celebrate Wildness. Uh, please uh, have a listen. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years, only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book-quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org that's f-e-r-a f-e-r-i-a dot org uh, yes uh, that's right uh, Joe Corson's lovely book Celebrate Wildness is available only at feriferia.org uh, as is uh, the previous book we mentioned, uh, Dancing with Gaia is available only at DancingWithGaia.com. 
Uh, well, that about does it uh, for me tonight, uh, dear listeners. Uh, I'm going to go uh, pull out uh, Alessandra's book, Healing Journeys with the Black Madonna, and uh, read more. She's uh, uh, tantalized me, and um, i, I got to dig a little deeper. Uh, I'm sure you enjoyed our interview, and um, I hope to have her back on the show. Maybe sometime soon we can continue uh, the conversation and get to so much of uh, what we didn't have time for tonight um, and uh, just a last few comments before I close uh, I do have a new email and website so if you've been having trouble reaching me uh, that's because everything uh, has been in transition the last six months of my life and uh, you can find me at KarenTate108 at Yahoo.com and my new website is KarenTate.net KarenTate.net. It is no longer KarenTate.com. I would invite you to go to the Voices of the Sacred Feminine uh, show page on Blog Talk. Uh, Hit the follow button and uh, that will uh, make sure um, notice of uh, my weekly show uh, ends up in your inbox. So all you have to do is click the button on the email and it will bring you right to the show. Uh, if, uh, if the interview is something you want to hear, it's really a great convenience. So uh, that about does it for me. Um, thank you for uh, your listener loyalty, and I will be back uh, June 5th uh, with Julie Morley. Uh, lots of great guests in June. So uh, while you're enjoying your summer, don't forget to tune in to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Good night. <laughs>